0: I'm your host Lawrence Doan and tonight we are joined by Dr. Leo Lander. Dr. Leo Lander has been practicing dentistry overseas for a decade. The last two years uh, was being in oral maxillofacial surgery before relocating to the southern hemisphere. Then he moved to Dundee, New Zealand in the early 2014 to undertake specialist training at the University of Otago in the field of periodontology. Upon graduation in 2016, Leo has been practicing the full scope of periodontics and implantology um, in Adelaide, South Australia. Dr. Leo Lando, welcome to the show. Hello. (laughs) So you specialize in perio, but that wasn't always the case. So tell us about your CPD journey so far.
1: Well, to be honest, when I was um, a dental student, I always thought that I'm not going to specialize. So, because I thought it would kind of limit my scope of practice. And um, I, I never actually had fun doing burial, uh at the dental school. And I actually loved endo. Um, but, like, you know, things change. People change. Right now I would rather poke myself in the eye with a K-file than do an endo. <laughs> and I love what endodontists do. They preserve people's teeth until they can save up for the income. Uh But, you know we change, we evolve, uh, so when when I was doing my uh, uh, dental school, I was on a military scholarship, so I had to uh, give some of the time back to the military, so uh, after graduating I was an army dentist for a while, which was interesting. You kind of uh, learn to operate on your own and kind of try stuff that you, probably wouldn't try it, uh, if you had support but you don't uh, you don't have it so it's kind of similar to being like really really rural uh, in Australian terms and then I got accepted into uh, access training program uh, but after doing two years of that uh, I was not having a life uh, we decided to move to New Zealand and to Ontario so That's pretty much how I ended up kind of going uh, into a different place on the globe. And then after finishing stereo, I ended up in Australia.
0: Well, let's slow it down a little bit. So you graduate in 2005, is that right? And then you work as a general, uh, you work as an army dentist. Is that because similar to what we have in Australia here, you have to, um, they sponsor you, and then so you have to give back a few years?
1: Well, basically, uh, it was back in Israel. So, in Israel, uh, military service is compulsory uh, for both uh, boys and girls. So, my wife did her uh, military uh, service in the Navy. Now, if you, uh, so basically, it's uh, back at the time, it was three years for uh, for boys, two years for girls, compulsory service. But uh, if you uh, want to kind of go to university straight out of high school, um, they, if you get accepted, they will pay you, uh, you they will pay, uh, the tuition for the unit, uh, the army will pay some, uh, some kind of, uh, allowance, but then at the end of the day, on top of the three years that you originally uh, had, to, uh, no matter what, you need to do another two years. Yeah. So,
0: when you're working in the Army, and, you know, in our situation here, you can still go to CPD courses. Did you take any CPD during that time? Because you mentioned you were interested in endodontics, but well, you ended up in oral surgery.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, first of all, uh, Army does organize some CPD on, on behalf. So, basically, you can uh, you can get, like, either like oh, some kind of internship or uh, ask for permission like once a month to go and uh, assist in you know, the service specialist working. So I actually did observe some old surgeons. So because basically uh, I kind of understood that the is not my thing. <laughs> uh, even though I could do like a, uh, a you know, be, back in the day, almost 15 years ago in the, in the military clinics, uh, in remote areas, but didn't have rotary instruments, like uh, I could do a uh, molar endo, start to finish, uh, in- including four build up in two hours. Uh, I did get to observe uh, oral surgeons, and it was cool, so I liked that. And I had to do a little bit of, uh, I mean, when you're in the army, you have mainly a young population, and then you have all those people that come from uh, unprivileged levels of society. So they have like uh, broken down key that to be removed. And people that have hair the age group, right? So you deal with a lot of wisdom teeth. Uh, so you kind of um, learn that.
0: Right, so you, you were interested in Endo, but once you actually got more into it and doing it on a daily, you realize you don't actually have an interest for it. And yeah. at the same time, you've got the Armies giving you training and internship, so you're dabbling in different... Are you having a rotation at different um, specialties? Is that what happens? Or you're attending you're courses? It
1: kind, of, kind of... After work, I mean, you know, university is really different to the real life afterwards. So. Whatever you get to experience at the unit uh, it's not the same pace and it's not the same environment once you go out, regardless of whether it's public, military or private. So, after working uh, for a while on your own, you kind of get the gist of what you actually like doing on a more routine basis and what you don't like doing. What gives you more satisfaction, what gives you less satisfaction. Uh, so... At the end of the day, you decide what you would like to uh, improve your knowledge at, or get better at, and then you ask your superiors to allow you to kind of extend your knowledge in that field. So, mm. you would ask me to kind of once a month come and observe uh, a surgeon uh, doing like Sure.
0: Yeah, so then you realize you have an interest in oral surgery or oral maxillofacial surgeon. You would specialize in it, right? And from from us, for um, general dentist in Australia, that's like a lot of work. You have to go through a medical and then a dental um, kind of program.
1: Well, in Israel, you don't have to do medical. So it's <clears throat> it's only a dental specialty. So you have to do uh, five years of training. And this is uh, this is quite intense. So, if you're having like, uh, if you're doing a night shift, basically you're doing a 28 hour shift. So, you start at 7 a.m., uh, then you're kind of working either in the, in the theater or the outpatient clinic, the hospital. Then, you, the, the, the clinic finishes at like, I don't know, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And then, you stay for the whole night. In the hospital, so basically you deal with all the trauma and cases afterwards, and infections, whatever. And then in the morning, you still have to kind of finish up whatever you started doing during the night. And then, then, and then you can go home at about 11 o'clock if you're done with that stuff. To so come back uh, the next day, at 7 a.m.
0: Wow, how? Because you, you have an MBA as well, and did you get it at the same time as when you did your?
1: I did that during the, uh, my military service. So basically, you know, in, when you are sta- stationed in a remote base, you kind of start well. You start your week at kind of Monday afternoon, and then uh, you kind of finish Friday morning, or uh, even Thursday midday. So basically, there is not not much to do on the base. Finally, you go home, and uh, it ends up that you have like. Three, uh, Three days worth of weekends, and uh, for the first few months after you, uh, it's fun because you get play, uh, your PlayStation and kill. Uh, but then it becomes really boring because at at the end of the day, you're not doing a lot of uh, comprehensive stuff. You're doing like basic stuff because uh, you know fillings, root canal attractions, fillings, root canals, attractions, feelings, root canals attractions. Uh, and you, you kind of become dumbed down. So you need to have uh, your brain cells working. So my way, of, uh, my way of doing that is signing up for, for an MBA program, and one of the universities was uh, providing this program free of charge for military account. So I basically got my MBA degree for free. It was run during the weekend for two years. So it was fun. I mean, uh, getting exposed to other things and uh, starting thinking uh, in more of a uh, understanding things from the business point of view.
0: So yeah, so you've taken this MBA, but people would, you know, and you say you wanted because you wanted a better business, literature, financial understanding, and because you've had the spare time, I mean, do you actually feel it helped? You know, a lot of people say when it comes to business, it doesn't really help, you know, um, particularly if it's dentally related. Does, do you find that the MBA was applicable in our dental environment?
1: Uh, yes, it helped me not by practice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my first year in uh, private practice, I finished my uh, period training. So, uh, But, you know, when, when you do have some uh, kind of business degree, you can actually read the financial... Uh, stuff provided by the selling uh, party. So you, you don't really need uh, some special advice from other accountants or lawyers or whatever. But the the sheer ability to read financial reports made me realize that I'm, I'm, uh, what the pillars being offered to me is far from being great. So I kind of politely walked away. That point, uh, in, in, uh, and then you know, uh, a year later, COVID happened. So I would be stuffed with a huge, huge loan, and having not to work for a while for a few months, that would have probably killed me financially.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, it is an interesting times, isn't it? So, you know, in today's age, where there's so many kind of business, business courses out there and videos out there, you know, do you, would you think that for a graduate who might be interested in thinking, All right, I can probably do an MBA uh, and I'll understand it more, uh, would you say you actually don't need it, like you've just mentioned? Yeah.
1: Well, it, it, did, it, it did help me not make a... a, a a big mistake, financially speaking. So, it was useful to an extent, and I mean, I did have fun uh, doing it, the program, and uh, it did uh, exercise my aim so it doesn't get dead during the <laughs> army service. So, uh, there's not too many negatives to it, so uh, I really enjoyed it. So, if people are keen to actually learn uh, and improve their skills not not necessarily in dentistry i mean we can we can have different scopes of interest and that could be one of them i mean the cpd doesn't have to be necessarily in your professional field you can develop yourself as a person Uh, and that's uh, not uh less important than getting better at what you do professional
0: Mm. All right, so let's let's get into the perio. So you're you're an oral maxillofacial surgeon, but then you come to New Zealand to do perio. You know
1: what well, was so- first of all, I'm not a maxillofacial surgeon. I didn't finish the program. I quit after three years, <laughs> so I don't want to uh, to, uh, to be sound. I have a degree that I don't have. So yeah, uh, it was a shift of thinking. So you know when you come from surgery to perio, you're like a pendulum. You just go from one side to the other. When well, you're a surgeon, uh, if you see a tooth with an 8 millimeter pocket and a little bit of mobility, you don't really think twice. You numb it up, grab your corset and uh, the tooth come, comes out in seconds. While in perio, you kind of, wow, there are so many that I could have not extracted <laughs> and actually kept for many, many years. So I kind of swung to the other side of the center, trying to save everything possible, even the hopeless stuff. Uh, but then you find some kind of middle ground in, in my second year, probably. So kind of differentiate what is worth fighting for and what uh, the patient would actually be uh, better off without.
0: Brian. So, you know, whilst your focus is in perio implants, um, you still do wisdom teeth removals, you know. Um, Do you think that can be kind of confusing for the referring dentist that might be sending it to you? Um...
1: Uh, No, I don't think so. Well, first of all, it's fun. I like it. Uh, Second thing uh, is that uh, people that refer to me, they know my scope of practice. So, I mean, it's not like uh, they're going to send me a patient for... uh, for one thing and they will uh, get something which is different. Uh, So, yes, I I also get referrals for wisdom teeth. And it's not like uh, I'm practicing out of my scope of practice. I I, I just, you know, expand my scope of practice. Uh, Hmm. Not only to carry but to other things as well. And, you know, in Australia we're we're also... Uh, Registers both, especially general dentists, and everything uh, in general dentists is a practice. Um, the thing is that, you know, um, when I do perio, and sometimes, you know, you, people with very bad period conditions, uh, wisdom teeth could be in the way of proper maintenance. And if I do perio in quadrants, or actually I do two quadrants at a time, about each time, I tell the patient that you know some teeth, or say like the wisdom teeth in case, they probably would be better off without them. And while we're numbing them up for after the face, might just as well use that
0: uh, opportunity, yeah,
1: yeah, to, 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 to remove those wisdom teeth at the same time. Mm. And. I think it works for the benefit of the patient. It's not like I'm doing uh, a couple of MOs and DOs and uh, patients at the same time. But it, it's still within a small frame. My, my referrals know that. And I, I do have a couple of referrals that uh, they write in their referrals, if you uh, think that something might need to be removed, please send the patient back to us. That. That's fine. I, I respect uh, everything that uh, I get. Because basically, without my referrals, I wouldn't be able to uh, provide for my family. Understandable. Uh, <laughs> if they want to do the referral, then, uh, the uh, the extraction, uh, this is perfectly fine. If uh, they don't mind me doing that as part of the area treatment, that is also fine. So uh, I'm trying not to step on anyone anyone's toes. Uh, while still providing the best
0: possible patients. Mm. So you're a clinical surgical tutor for programs and you hold your own CPD training courses as well. How do you suggest a participant kind of makes the most out of the CPD that they are attending?
1: I think uh, the uh, best way to make the most of uh, attending a course Is actually choose your course forces wisely. Uh, And what I mean by that is not choosing something that sounds cool and you've seen awesome uh, Facebook images of certain surgeries or whatever, makeovers, but something that you actually are ready to uh, implement, which would you think that you would consider them to be your next step in your evolution. As a clinician, so you know if you've only done like um, several, if you're if you're a new graduate and you've only done like a, a couple of uh, single unit crowns during doing a course on uh, full mouth rehab with total bridges from like seven to seven, while you're gonna have fun doing the course, because you'll be like whoa whoa. This is amazing. This is unbelievable. But at the end of the day, <coughs> are you going to do any of that the following Monday when you come to your practice? Unlikely. Because you've got some, someone else's philosophy and knowledge, but your uh, experience so far hasn't prepared you to take that next step. Does it make sense? Yeah. So even though some things uh, sound really fun and awesome and you would like to get there eventually, you just need to choose your courses, your CPD, according to the level of your, at the current point and match uh, it matching to what you would actually want to do just tomorrow, Monday. And that way you will see while you're doing the course, you're kind of listening to the lecture, to the presenter, and you think, "Oh, this is a nice thing. I, I, I should try. I should have tried that on the patient that I saw last week." You know? mm. And the other thing to understand is that not everything that you hear in the course has to be immediately implemented. So, uh, if you get several points bullet points out of a course and you and it takes you change the way you operate or make you a better clinician, that's totally worth it. Yeah.
0: I think you you touched on so many good points there. I think what you said is, you know, pick courses based around the things that you'll be able to implement back at your clinic. So or maybe what your clinic is doing and then build on that and then the other thing is like you've said is um when you're picking these courses um you don't have to use it straight away but you as long as you're building on it slowly over time it's good and there was that one more point that you were just saying it's that um you have to have some basis of understanding to really apply what you're learning so you know when you're learning about Implants and whatnot, but if you're not really learning a little bit about it along the way, you might not really understand It it just might just hit you and then that's it
1: learning has to be incremental So you learn to walk before you start running That's the way it is Hmm
0: So I'm gonna go talk about perio as well here So perio is an interesting topic especially when it comes to dentists, oral, um, OHTs, hygienists some peri believe that dental graduates aren't taught enough depth um, with perio at uni compared to their OHT that, counterparts.
1: I think all of the dental students are not being taught proper perio, and uh, there are a few issues with that. And by the way, I, I, I actually think that neither do OHTs, uh, because OHT is a very interesting degree. I mean, you, we have it in Australia and New Zealand, but you don't see it in other parts of the world. So, uh, there is a hygiene training, uh, which is uh, hard enough, you know. So, when uh, when OH, OHTs do their uh, three years of training, I don't think they get enough of either. But that's my personal opinion, comparing to things that I've seen in other parts of the world. Now, in dentistry, in dental schools, um, first of all, we have a shortage of teaching staff. So at the end of the day, we get to the situation where uh, hygienists, who well, uh, are very experienced hygienists, they teach and supervise their uh, students for period. You know, it's kind of. I'm I'm not trying to put anyone down, right? But it doesn't kind of seem right to me. Uh, the other thing is in dental school, students are not interested in material. And I wasn't interested in material, to be honest, myself. Because at the end of the day, in dental school, we are mostly caring about, or not caring about, but kind of driven by more immediate or instant satisfaction. So, you have a, a, a hole in the tooth, you do a feeling... And then ba-bam, the tooth is nothing mine. Okay. You have a broken down tooth, you take the <coughs> elevator and the forceps, uh, five minutes later, or if you're a student forty-five minutes later, the tooth is out, imperial, you do stuff without seeing it, because it's subjinger, right? So you don't see what you do. Uh, you don't do, you don't know whether you whether you do it right. Uh, And then, in order to see any kind of results, you need to wait for about three months for for the first re-evaluation. And then, by the end of the three months, uh, you have the summer break or the mid-winter break, or you graduate, and, uh, you know. So, a lot of things are falling in between the cracks. Uh, And at the end of the day, uh, the students come out without uh, understanding, and I'm, I'm not even talking about doing a, a career in clinical practice, but understanding how to do it or the principles of it. And uh, this is a problem of the system. No I'm not saying that anyone is—they're uh, uh, just kind of letting it down. But the, the system is just designed that way, so which uh, don't get the students up. Yeah, mm. It is it is fundamental because at the end of the day, we can do a beautiful crown, but if the tooth has uh, uh, lost eighty percent of the bone support, it's going to fight itself in the pin event.
0: Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Do you think that you c- there would be any CPD that you know people might not benefit that you've not benefited from in your time?
1: <laughs> I think the the stuff that I've done that I haven't benefited from is. uh uh cosmetic injection. <laughs> i did the course probably like i don't know uh 10 years ago and i haven't used that Never not done that uh, outside of the course. i planned to do it but eventually I, I i didn't do it and then when i started training max factor so i didn't have a, a time to, to, to sleep not to do any cosmetic work so um yeah, I mean, not every course that we take, we're going to find ourselves doing that. Mm. Uh, so, yes, uh, I guess it was a bit of a lost money, because I'm not planning to uh, start doing genetic injections. Uh, but, you know, at, the, at at that time, I thought it would be a good investment, and it turned out not to be a good investment. And basically, if you think about it, CPD is... Our investments in our own development right but with any kind of investment there is no there is no investment tool that provides a guaranteed return there is always some risk you're gonna lose right any type of investment so yeah some of the courses uh, uh, are bad investment not because the course is bad But because your plans didn't, uh, uh, the stars didn't align a certain way and you ended up not doing whatever you learned.
0: Yeah. You couldn't implement it. Yeah. So, over your your career, has there been any particular big influences?
1: In terms of uh, CPD?
0: Yeah.
1: I think in terms of CPD, uh, and especially for a new grad. Uh, the most important one would be communication skills because at the end of the day our training is is all about manual dexterity they don't teach us how to talk to people and one of my professors at the dental school when I was still a dental student said that patients they don't know dentistry. they can only tell three things about their dentist whether they're quick or slow whether they are uh, whether it hurt or it didn't hurt, and whether they're a nice person or not nice person. And neither of those three have anything to do with the quality of the services you provide, as in terms of clinical dentistry. So, you know, you could do a perfect, beautiful restoration, <coughs> but it took you longer to numb the patient up. So it took a long time and uh, it hurt. You're getting close to with the pulse. Does it mean that you had, uh, did a bad job? No, you put the beautiful lining and uh, whatever you put on the ceiling, I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> Edge
0: Bond yeah, Primal. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, at the end of the day, the patient might walk out unhappy because, I mean, even though you did a perfectly uh, good clinical job. Now, even when you're a specialist, and you know, your trade, and you know what to do, you don't get to do it. If you if you the patient that senior for consult doesn't uh, make an appointment. And it comes down to communication. And uh, when I started uh, the first year out, I was on a salary, and my boss was like, "You know what I don't care how much you charge for the treatment, uh, as, long there is, as long as there is a there is in the chair, I'm happy. So, and you know, people, uh, probably half of the patients that I would see for courses they wouldn't schedule for treatment. And after doing some uh, communication training, I now charge probably more than twice than I used to charge as a new grad of period and probably more than nine out of ten they schedule for treatment so it's a matter of how you present uh, and communicate with the patient and the, the wording that you use to provide your information, that makes a lot of difference and that at the end of the day it makes a lot of difference to your bottom line because uh, you need to to do treatment to, uh, to actually provide treatment, communication time first. Because if if you're a great operator, if people don't want to see you because uh, you're not nice to them or you've been abrupt or whatever, as good as you are clinically, you won't have people to implement your clinical skills on. You know.
0: Mm. Yeah. Have there been any particular struggles in your CPD or dental journey so far that some of our viewers might not have known about? Uh,
1: Struggles in the CPD journey? uh, well,
0: Whether it be dental or CPD related.
1: Well, I I think once the communication thing was uh, kind of done and dusted, it was a relatively smooth ride. And once again, uh, uh, kind of matching... The step you want to take to your expectations about your next step and your uh, your evolution of the clinician, even as a specialist. So uh, there are always better clinicians than you are teaching uh, more advanced procedures and better skills. So you kind of gradually increase your scope of practice and learning more and doing more. So uh, the incremental learning it never. It just kind of always pushed to the next level. Hmm.
0: You mentioned um, before our our chat just then that you know when you moved to study in specialty, you know, it was a difficult time. Your your wife was working and you were studying. Um, let's. Could you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Well, when I was doing my surgical training, I was uh, I was probably. I wouldn't lie if I said if I, that I worked probably anywhere between 80 to 100 hours a week. Uh, and that was that, that was crazy. I mean, uh, I was doing that at the same time my wife was working uh, in the same hospital as a, as a nurse. Yeah. And we, had, we didn't see each other, to be honest. I'm not even sure how we managed to have our third child because we didn't actually meet up. Uh, but, uh, or I just... I was so sleepy, I just don't remember that. <laughs> uh, so at the end of the day, we just had no life. And then I decided, OK, so uh, if, I, if I don't want to continue uh, Max Facts, uh, and you know, if we want to move uh, to another country, uh, being Max Facts, you need to have a, de- a medical degree on top of your medical degree. Uh, sorry, a medical degree on top of a dental degree. So I was like, okay, so what's closest to uh, surgery, but not surgery? I thought, okay, that's probably Theriot. So I applied, I basically just Googled the email addresses of uh, heads of Theriot programs in Australia. And when you live on the other side of the globe, when you say Australia and New Zealand kind of works together, <laughs> you don't realize that those are completely separate countries like few thousand miles apart it goes in the same sentence, Australia, New Zealand uh, and I was like okay, maybe I'll just write to New Zealand as well, you know, just as well and uh, I got, accept, uh, got accepted into Griffith Uni uh, to do a period with uh, Prof. Ivanovski Sasha Ivanovski uh, it was actually funny when I was doing my interview over Skype. It was like three a.m. back in Israel. <laughs> so I was sitting in front of my computer with my shirt and tie and whatever, and undies underneath. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I got, I got accepted at uh, Griffith Uni, and then sent me a, an email saying, "Congratulations! We're happy to offer you a place. Uh, please pay your forty-eight thousand dollars tuition per year." And then I got an email from New Zealand saying that uh, it was Professor warwick Duncan, I've looked at your uh, credentials and whatever and it looks like you have a good chance of uh, getting a scholarship. And I didn't even know scholarships existed, you know, for post So I looked it up and apparently there was a doctoral scholarship at Canterbury, which basically meant that uh, you don't pay tuition and you get $25,000 per year uh, for living, which is tax-free. So, you know, either paying 50 grand a year in Queensland versus receiving 25 grand a year in New Zealand, multiply that by three years, uh, you don't have to have an MBA degree to understand. <laughs> okay.
0: Yes. I mean, the reason why I ask is because for many graduates, they reach a point um, now in their career when they're maybe three, four years out, and they're thinking about, do I specialize? And uh, like you, in your situation, they might have a significant other that they um, might not be in dentistry and might not be able to understand. And so for someone that's gone through it, that's why I asked you that question. You know?
1: Look, my wife, she is my rock. And, you know, we've been together for 20 years. We started dating when I was 21 and she was 18. Uh, and you really do need the support of uh, your partner. Because uh, th- th- these are crazy times. And, you know, your, your income plummet while you're doing the training. And I don't even think, it, uh, after being in, in, in uh, general practice for quite a few years, if you think of specializing uh, financially, you might not recover from the income summit. Because basically, you know, instead of uh, earning two hundred thousand dollars a year, you kind of go to uh, chewing through your savings. So, you know, uh, but it's it, it's not it's not about the income. Uh, Even if, uh, I mean, you need to like what you do. Uh, So when you wake up in the morning, I mean, it sounds really, uh, you know, uh, meme kind of thing, Uh, but you you need to enjoy what you do. So if you get to a certain point in your career that you see that you're really, really not enjoying certain certain parts of your work, and you're really, really enjoying the other parts of your work, you kind of need to make up your mind when they, whether you want to concentrate um, on certain things more. And you don't necessarily have to specialize. You can take courses to get you more knowledge in a certain field. Notice like that with the with medical chiefs, you have a GP with interest in whatever, special interest in something, in uh, uh, women's health, mental health, health. Uh, minor surgery, uh, skin cancer, whatever, but they're still GPs, you know, they're not uh, gynecologists, they're not psychiatrists, they're not dermatologists or whatever, but they, they extend a certain field of their practice by doing more training in that field. So, yes, specialty does take a toll. It is fun. It, it, it is heaps of fun. It's tough, but it's awesome at the same time. Uh But, you know, some people cannot do it for certain reasons. If uh, if they have uh, family commitments or partner that is not uh, super supportive for financial reasons or whatever, it doesn't have to be a full-blown special uh, tour of the year. It can be forces in a certain fields, and especially if you work in a... Um, Mm. not in a solo practice, but like in uh practice with uh, several uh, several uh, providers, you can actually become your practices so to call special. So if you do more so you can uh, I, I know plenty of dentists that limit practice. You can limit your practice to whatever you want to within that multi person practice. So they just offload some of their cases in that particular field to you, which is fine as well, uh, even without holding the specialist degree.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is where the term, you know, a general dentist with special interests is in something in particular comes about, yes. Or, or the term super GP gets thrown around. So let's talk about your ideal clinical or non-clinical day. What does it look like in five years time? And you know, what kind of courses do you want to be taking to kind of get you to that point?
1: Um, I think there are a few courses that I would like to take. Uh, one of them would be uh, zygomatic implants, which I'm not sure that I'm going to implement, because I have a lot of uh, reservations being a stereo uh, for, you know, all of X type of treatments when uh, one of the requirements is removing a shitload of bone, and in stereo we count bone in millimeters, certain centimeters. Um, it's like a, I <laughs> So yes I would like to get some training in in, in those areas even though I might not uh, implement them but to expand my knowledge uh, I, I will do more courses uh, provided by international uh, educators about m- uh, more advanced grafting procedures or soft tissue surgery uh, one. Borders open up, mm. if they ever open up. <laughs> um, so you know, you, you can always do better. Whatever you do, you can always learn more because there are always people around that know more than you do. And you might not become like them, but you become better than you were a year ago. Which
0: is yeah, important. I think you're talking. I think you talk about an interesting point here. You talk about, you know, you're running your own race and you're just learning from the people around you. You don't have to compare yourself to um, the best clinician. Um, There's always going to be someone better. But the thing is, you're making these incremental improvements along the way and that's the most important.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So we've got a quick question. Some people are asking, do you have the be nice to me, you may need implants someday shirt going on right now?
1: Yes, I do. <laughs> if, I, if i find it uh, I'll, i will look up in the, in the laundry uh i'll take a picture of it
0: <laughs> yes we well some of our viewers are wondering if you're wearing it on at the moment but
1: <laughs> no at the moment I'm my scrunch
0: <laughs> so dr Leo Lando, um there's so many more questions i want to ask you but that's all the time we've got for today thank you for coming on the show if you could let the people know how they can find you or, what's kind of going on in your life at the moment?
1: Well, basically, the next thing that was supposed to be going on in my life is doing my mode uh, no 2 period for, um, September, which is not going to happen, unfortunately, uh, because uh, all the board So, I just put a post on DPR that uh, we have postponed that. Um, and this is really unfortunate because I've been playing that for a few months now. the regulations would ease we will we bring that and I really like to to, to to teach even though you know English is not a percentage, but it's kind of period as you said it's not not fair about the unit so it's really a shame and that uh, few people at a time. Mm. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to do that sooner rather than later. Uh, the ways to find me are uh, either on TTR, on Facebook, which I'm probably the to. Uh, if you want to, uh, if you live in South Chile and you would like to get to me over a coffee, F- uh, find me up the send me a message or on uh, If you want preferred refer to me, let me know, I will get my uh, uh, my reception to send you the referral. Then
0: if you like this episode drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of cp junkie podcast